Hello, and welcome back to Champions of Security. I'm your host, Jacob Garrison, and I am thrilled to introduce today's guest, Tom Canan. Tom is an enterprise account executive at Cobol, so he works daily with security teams to help them secure their organizations. He's been working in these sales roles to security orgs for the last nine years. And so today we're going to dive into that relationship between sales teams and security people. Well, Tom, hey, thanks so much for joining today. I'm excited to have you here. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited. Perfect. So I want to let our audience know this episode will be pretty unique and, and it'll be exciting. So I'm a firm believer that security needs to leverage the talents of everybody at an organization. You know, and and so one of those groups that they need to leverage are the salespeople themselves. And I'm I'm happy to have Tom here because he is an experienced sales guy and, and just a great, great person, great practitioner, you know, great member of the team. And today we're going to be talking about, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly of, of how sales teams and security teams interact. So Tom, to start off, Perfect. Uh, can, can you just kind of walk us through the relationship that you have with the security team at your organization or, you know, past organizations that you've worked at? Yeah, for sure. So right now I work at Cobalt. We do pen testing. Then we also have a platform. So for us, there are important things like SOC 2, ISO 27001, so compliance uh, frameworks, getting certified for those things, and then also general security and best practices. We're a security company, and we want to have really good security standards for ourselves uh, beyond those frameworks. So we work pretty closely with our team when it comes to, I mean, doing the security training, things like that, and working with them to make sure that if there's something that we have to do, like the, the updates for our Macs, other things like that to help them on their course to do that. We're, we just follow suit and we don't give them a hard time. Uh, typically, there's a lot of friction between the end user and security when it comes to updates and things of that nature, getting things done. So we try to give them uh, the best experience possible because um, it's a true partnership. And there's also the flip side where we have security questionnaires that come in all the time for uh, prospective customers and we need to work with security to get those done and legal. So there's a lot of getting in the room and working through those things together. Um, and then they also enable us if we have a WISTIC profile, for example, and they say, hey, like we should try to push back and have them or share our profile with them rather than doing a questionnaire from scratch, that saves our security team hours of work. Um, so having that partnership and working together and communicating is, is key. So we work with them, uh, the sales reps anyways, on a weekly basis at least. Cool. Cool. And, and you mentioned the relationship between the end user and security. And so when you say end user in this case, are you referring to yourself and other people? At Myself, the yeah. So yeah, I guess anyone that is doing So the go to market team and anyone that's functioning outside of security, that is, I always look at it as looking at the mission statement of the company. Anyone else that's outside of security and IT that's working towards that, um, everyone's involved in that end user grouping. And that includes C-levels. Think there's uh we don't give passes to C levels here when it comes to security, so they are definitely involved. <laughs> For sure. And and so one thing I've that I think is interesting, you brought up you work at a security company and, and so it's more ingrained into what you do on a daily basis. And in in past roles, have you ever have you had a more difficult time? You know, have you seen more friction between the security org and and other members of the organization? Like speaking for myself personally. Uh, I, I worked at a company where no one ever updated any, well, they did update things. <laughs> no one ever wanted to update anything. Yeah. 
because they didn't care. They didn't get it. And it seems like that's one of those pieces of friction that would be less prevalent at a security centered organization. Yeah, I think we if you're in a security company, you start to get it, uh, knowing the space and under, like learning about application security and the general ecosystem around that. And then you read about breaches and the different um, methods that someone took, an adversary took to get into your network or whatever it might be, or phishing campaigns. Like we have that knowledge base because it's a part of the industry we're in. So I think we're a little bit more in tune with that. But if you're looking from, so my dad works in the plastics industry and he might not be super in tune with security practices. So if he gets an update, it's like, ah, I don't want to do an update uh, and kind of moves on. But I think we're also at a point um, where we see things in more, they're more mainstream security related things. So like breaches, or even if it's something related to like multi-factor authentication, like my, if someone's getting a text of their code to their phone, people are starting to get that ingrained into their day to day. So I think more people, even if you're not a security company are getting used to um, those things and it's not as, there's not as much friction as there used to be, but I have been in places where we were very small um, and we just didn't have the resources to get everything done in a, in a timely manner. So when you're stretched thin, it gets a little bit harder. And I have seen things fall through the crack at smaller places just because there's just so much to do and so little time when you have limited resources. Yeah, absolutely. And especially at small companies where your survival as an organization is, is dependent on you creating whatever it is you're creating, selling it, making money. And, and the security can feel like a roadblock to those things, even though it's still necessary, it can feel like it's getting in the way of your ability to, you know, have yeah, the perception, everyone's perception is a little bit different and it's, uh, it gets challenging when your perception might be, it's a roadblock and you know, it's for the greater good, but if that's your personal gut feeling on it, you're just going to be more prone to not doing things in a timely manner. It's just, uh, how, how humans work. Yeah. Definitely. And one thing I thought was cool, like I got a message recently on my iPhone and you may have gotten it too, uh, where it said security update. <laughs> yeah, the, the update was specifically, it just said security update. And I thought that was pretty cool rather than just saying, oh, new iOS version. It's like, hey, please install this, uh, which is yeah. it's an interesting. Yep. I hadn't seen that before. At least I hadn't noticed it before in previous updates. Yeah, I haven't noticed it either. I'm sure it has happened. I'm, I think they're getting more specific with it, but it is great to see because then I have family members that are like, oh, I, this is really important because they're saying it's a security update. And now they're more likely to push it through versus when you click later and have it go from 2 a.m. to 5 a.m. And then for some reason that never works because no one puts their phone in the charger so it doesn't actually happen. And then it's like you're getting that two weeks later. So I feel like it helps um, to know that it's a security update for sure. Definitely. Uh, well, so let's... Let's talk about disgruntled employees. This is something I think could be an interesting topic. <laughs> so you're on the sales team. Let's imagine there's someone on your team that's disgruntled. And we talk about insider threats. As a salesperson in an organization, what do you think the most damage someone could cause is? Uh, obviously, don't reveal anything proprietary. Like, what, what do people need to <laughs> think about with, like, you know, disgruntled sales or go-to-market employees? Yeah, for sure. I think one of the big things is that there can be reputational damage. So if you, even if it's things like in there, not even necessarily security related, um, but just saying negative things about the company on LinkedIn or Glassdoor, like that has reputational damages if you're disgruntled. But if you get into security a little bit, 
thinking about what a salesperson or go-to-market person is using uh, on a day-to-day basis. So the CRM, Slack, Teams, whatever it might be, email, all those things. I shouldn't have access to a lot of things. Like I shouldn't be able to go into my payroll system and see other people. So you hope those things are locked down appropriately and there's proper security controls. If you're using Slack, you hope that certain channels are locked or you'd have some sort of tool that prevents maybe sensitive information from flowing in and out of Slack. But uh, there's things that you could do of like, we have to get bank statements or invoicing information uh, from clients and we have to give them our banking information. So you have that level of setting those documentation back and forth. Like that's sensitive information that I can get from a customer and then also from ourselves. And then there's obviously bad things you can do with that. There is a control that you can put in place to have that flow controlled a little bit um, with more security, but there's still going to be a good chance that I'm going to see banking information just from that vendor customer relationship. Um, And I think that's one of the biggest things. Then I can go into, if someone goes into their Teams or Slack instance and you search sensitive terms and try to see if there's anything public facing, there's lots of ways that you could at least search and dig around to try to find sensitive information that I shouldn't have access to. Because it's going to be pretty rare that someone's 100% locked up. Um, there's always those situations where this everyone thought this was locked and it wasn't. So if the person has enough drive to do it, I'm sure they can find something that would bring a negative impact to the security team. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's a huge amount of trust that has to go into who you're bringing on board and, and trusting these people aren't going to, to do those things. And I don't think it's a problem you know, 99.9% of the time. But... It is certainly a concern that people have to consider is what is available. And to your point, if someone can get a a customer's banking information and write it down on a sticky note and take it for later, it could be really dangerous. Yeah, hopefully that does not happen uh, ever, or at least extremely rarely. Because yeah, there's a lot of trust in even in the security world. Yeah, and even thinking about the so the SVB situation um, and a lot of tech companies use them like if i was a disgruntled employee i could easily just say hey this is our new routing information or new banking information i could have people route stuff to me for all they know so like there's so many issues like that even happened outside of our control like our companies have no control what happened to the some of these banking systems and if you want to and if you're creative enough to think of that you could easily use those negative situations to do some malicious things for sure it's uh there's a lot of things out there but i think humans are typically in that guardrail of doing the right thing for the most part. And that definitely acts as a nice security blanket most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. And hopefully it continues that way because we don't need more, uh, more malicious activity from the inside. And that actually makes me think of something. How many times do you think you've gotten a text from your CEO asking you to buy gift cards or something else? (laughs) Oh, too many times. And it's just like, I don't know what I try to think of their end goal. I'm like, I just don't understand. I was like, I guess if I'm sending you the gift card, but like if I'm sitting here to buy a physical gift card, I don't think I'm going to be giving it to you. But uh, <laughs> there's a lot of situations where it's like the gift card or I need you to call me back ASAP or send me your number. And I'm like, you texted me, you have my number. So some of these things are just so outrageous um, that it's just so easy just to be like, okay, it's an obvious issue. There are some things though where it gets a little bit more, there's a little bit more thought put into the into it, and they maybe they pulled some. Inf- there's so much information online that you could find out certain things about a company, and then ask a very relevant question. And it's like, okay, uh, that sounds like it could be pretty legit. But 
you hope that if you get a text message that is a little sketchy that you go to your uh, team security Slack channel or you ping someone on the security team to say, hey, this is kind of weird. Uh, what do you think about it? So I always think that if people can have that, this seems kind of weird, go to security mindset, that's helps alleviate a lot of that. But I have so many of those text messages. It's, it's kind of funny at this point. Yeah, when in doubt, ask and make sure that it's real. Don't Don't just go and reply to things. <laughs> it's always think, yeah yeah and you brought up the the svb thing and it would be interesting when that whole bank run was occurring and it was a you know a fire for a lot of organizations someone could have definitely done some social engineering where they say hey i need you to log into our tenant and do xyz before this happens and you know they could send something out that come or appears to originate from somebody in the company on the finance team and yeah, there's, there's certainly a lot of ways that you could social engineer those crises because, you know, a gift card is a pretty low urgency thing, but, but yeah, some mm -hmm. societal event that is going to be, you know, relatively catastrophic for a lot of individuals, uh, it's, it's a lot easier to social engineer, hijack or take advantage of. Yeah. Something like that is really hard to defend against. It's just people are in a panic. Like even everybody's in a panic from sea levels to board. Um, all the go-to-market people are, are are job safe and things like that. So people just aren't in their right mind in those situations. And you're more of thinking how to protect yourself of like your job and you're trying to think of those things. So when that happens, like you're much more vulnerable to maybe believing something or falling for it because who knows what someone's going to ask of you in a crazy situation like that and your mind is elsewhere. So I'm sure there is many, many situations where there was malicious events. And I mean, the bad guys don't take those days off they're not gonna say oh people are dealing with the hardship we're gonna let them go like those are the times where people are gonna are gonna strike while the iron's hot for sure which unfortunate but it's an unfortunate truth yeah yeah just something that everyone needs to be aware of and have their guard up extra whenever when there is something that's urgent you know you gotta be willing to take a step back if something seems fishy or, or out of line and and so if we think yeah, about exactly. you know one of the you're coming from the sales team. And so one of the things you have to deal with is, hey, we're on a time limit to get this deal across, to close this thing, to send this to this customer. And so you personally probably add a lot of urgency to your security team. Uh, and then the security team probably tries to slow you down sometimes. And so what do you, what, how do you think that security and sales orgs can build a stronger relationship? And and you know, level set with each other and have a efficient communication when there is an urgent thing that that the sales team is trying to accomplish. For example, yeah, I think having a clean workflow to do something. So whether it's a Jira ticket or some sort of other tool, like having one-off Slack messages and emails, like that's not going to cut it. It's just too much noise. Things are going to fall through the track, uh, the cracks. We just need a simple space where. And, and a way to define it of like, is it an MSA? Is it a security questionnaire? What is security's role? If it's an MSA, do we need to look at specific language? I think we need to break it down and be as clear as possible because they're running the full-time job of protecting our company and then they're helping us. So they're protecting revenue and enabling revenue at the same time. So they're working with us to help get these security questionnaires or other things done while maybe working towards SOC 2 Type 2. So they're kind of doing the double... Uh, getting us certifications that we desperately need. And they're, then they're also trying to help us get a deal across the line with a questionnaire maybe. So it gets challenging. But I think if you can create a really organized way to make a flow 
uh, especially if you're a larger company, it just gets challenging. But uh, I think that helps security teams give you expectations. So, and I think that's another critical piece of security giving an expectation of it's going to take potentially X two to five days for us to get this done. This way we can relay that, relay that to a customer and have that expectation be set too. So I think a lot of expectation setting is important and giving timelines or at least a generalized timeline of, hey, it's typically going to take us X amount of days to do a security questionnaire. Um, and I think that's critical because we need to pass that on. Otherwise, it's kind of just a big question mark and everyone will just keep following up, following up. Is this ready? Is it ready? And that's where a lot of people get frustrated is that we need this yesterday type thing, which people still do that. Like we need a security questionnaire by Friday and today's Tuesday. It's like, well, I don't think that's realistic. So maybe set the bar in a, in a different place. So I think both sides need to set realistic expectations for each other. Yeah, and, and a part of setting realistic expectations, you probably need to also be able to follow through with the expectations you set, right? And you need to be able to prove it. So, so you know, if you're saying, hey, it's going to take five days to do this, uh, you should probably, hopefully, you're pretty confident that you can actually do it in five days. Um, otherwise, yeah, you create that that culture of distrust, which is what, to your point, you're not, you don't want. You know, you want people to believe that when you say, hey, I'm going to do this thing on this timeline. It'll actually be done on that timeline. Um, yeah, that's, and a good, as, that's a good point. As more and more issues roll in, especially if something urgent happens, then those timelines can get disrupted pretty quickly. You say, oh, by the way, the banking system is crashing. <laughs> and all of a sudden we have... Yeah, it's just huge oh. curveball. <laughs> yeah, so it's... Yeah, that's where it gets like, what are you going to do in that situation? Like, things are going to be impacted. But even seasonality, like... End of year is obviously big for go-to-market teams. And then you have uh, security teams are trying to wrap up their year. And it's also this huge influx in the fall of all these security questionnaires and MSAs because it's usually that, that big time of year for, for most companies. So it gets really challenging. So I think kind of if you see that workflow or that volume of things coming in changing to kind of update the, hey, it seems to like it's taking us a little bit longer. Uh, but yeah, if someone promises four days and it took eight days, there's going to be distrust. And now that's where the pressure start coming up. I need this faster. And those negative things that teams don't want to deal with, but they happen. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so just keeping that culture of trust and that open communication. And one thing you brought up was end of year. And I, I imagine, especially if you're an e-commerce company or, or sort of retail company, end of year is probably extra crazy for security because you also have the volume of product use go up as you're trying to finish everything else that you're doing. That's probably very, very chaotic. And to your point, probably extends a lot of those, those normal timelines or service level agreements that people are trying to accomplish. Yeah, it gets challenging. And then there's the situation of if I have a potential customer that's e-commerce and maybe they're updating their cart and checkout system before Black Friday and in their early fall, and now they have the pressure of, we need this done or a pen test done immediately because this is going to be happening soon with a huge influx of potential customers going to their website. And then my security team is potentially busy because end of the year. Now we have that crossroads of both sides. They need it as soon as possible. Our side's busy. And it's kind of uh, some, and I think a lot of salespeople get afraid to say negative things of what maybe it's not going to happen on in the timeline they're expecting. And they get afraid to say things that might have negative outcomes or negative responses just because no one wants to hear that. But I think that's important. You have to be able to give, if you don't think you're going to hit something, it's going to take four days and not two days like someone needs. You just have to be upfront with it and trying to find a solution. So I think go-to-market teams need to also 
we need to push a little bit on our side and also set real expectations because if I give a customer an expectation of um, two days, for example, and somebody takes five days, now they're going to be mad too because they thought this was going to have a, a working in their window and now it's not. So I think uh, just being honest and transparent with people is just best for best for both sides for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And and so you you know we've talked a lot about trust and honesty and and setting the right expectations. You sell to security people, so arguably the most skeptical of anybody in an organization. Uh, can you talk about how difficult it is to gain that trust? or what your strategies are for building that trust. Cause you know, when you, the very first time you interact with somebody, I imagine their guard is up probably. Uh, and it probably takes a long time to work through that. And so, you know, what, what does that process look like for an average person or, or maybe, a, you know, an extra skeptical individual? Yeah. So we, I run into some people that are very openly skeptical. So you can just tell by the responses or they might even say, I don't trust you. Like they'll just tell you outright that they have no trust in you because you're a new person to them, which is totally fine. If you don't have my last name, I probably won't trust you either uh, unless I get to know you a little bit more and earn that trust. Like I'm not going to give someone blanketed full trust, but there's different degrees of trust. Like I can trust you maybe to let my dog out, but I'm not going to trust you to babysit my kid. Like there's different levels of trust that people can have with each other. But I think it typically starts off pretty low, especially I like to think of it as that first outreach. So if you're doing cold emails and the way you go out and prospect or contact those potential customers, that is how you start building that reputation of, is it just overly salesy and marketing fluff? And maybe you're just losing trust of like, this is just kind of a sketchy process and that trust factor is now low. Or if I put a ton of research in, like I read your 10Ks, I looked at your career page and looked at all these things of who you're hiring, your background on LinkedIn, and I start to give you a really well-formed uh, emails and kind of conversation talk track about how I think we could work with you. There's probably a little bit more trust because, okay, this person's level setting with me, they're being real, they're doing a lot of research on our company, but that trust is never going to be super high. On the first call, I think it's typically, um, it should be low. And I think if you start doing slides or regurgitating your pitch and things like that, it starts just to be like, okay, just do your thing. We're not going to build trust here. But um, if you could build some rapport and just have a real conversation and be transparent, uh, when salespeople start gating things like pricing uh, or maybe things that aren't great about their company, like a weak spot, if they start gating those things and people can tell, like the trust is pretty much gone there. They'll work with you for the most part still if there's a technology that is fitting what they need. But I don't think you're going to gain that trust, especially as a vendor. It's like a, a purchase and then you're using the tool. It's not like a VAR or a partner where you're in there every day with them, trying to understand their full ecosystem, all the solutions they might need, their processes. There's a little bit more time to have a conversation there. For us, it is just making sure the processes are aligned uh, and working with them to make sure they're making the best choice for their company. And you don't get to the chance to build all that trust up front in those first few calls. Yeah, yeah, it takes time. And you brought up a lot of good points that I'm curious to ask you about. And I guess I'll, I'll start with the start at the top, which is, you know, you mentioned if you're just pitching slides at somebody and you're regurgitating material and, and not having that rapport. So in, in your experience, I mean, how willing are, are security people to tell you things and, and have that conversation, you know, on, on meeting number one? Do they need usually an, an NDA in place? Are, are people 
pretty hesitant to reveal details? Or do you feel like if you're being honest with them, they'll be honest with you to the extent that they're, you know, professionally able or, or willing to do? Yeah, it definitely depends on the person and what company they work for. If it's like defense or a hospital or something like that, they're probably a little bit more safe, safeguarding their information. Um, if they work for like a B2B SaaS company, maybe they're going to be a little bit more open about their practices. They might have a trust center <clears throat> online, so they have a lot of public-facing information anyways. And then maybe they'll dive in, into more things uh, than someone else would. Maybe a hospital will give it a, a very basic baseline of what they're looking for and some information there. But uh, I think if I've been open and super honest and transparent about what we're looking to do, uh, and I ask questions typically based off of I'll build a theory through looking at LinkedIn career pages, anything I can find online of like, this is how I see your org working today. These are the processes based on my assumptions from what I found. And if I can start to ask more pinpointed questions like that, they're usually more open to having a conversation. If I'm asking, what does your company do? What do you do for work? It's like, well, 10 minutes of research and you're probably going to have found that out. And they're probably not going to give you a ton of information there. But if you can do a lot of the work for them, uh, and you come with knowledge and you're armed with that, I think people are usually more open to having a conversation. But I do have people that are very basic about, we want to run a pen test and this is how when we want to do it and we need an NDA before anything else happens. So you do run into that, uh, which I totally respect it. If you want to get an NDA before you start diving into the nuts and bolts of your processes and things like that or what you're struggling with, like I, I have no problem with that. Cool. Yeah, thank you for the insights. And, and so... You know, you brought up this idea of showing up prepared, doing your research, knowing your value proposition, understanding the company and the person. And so let's say you do that. Someone does all of that and they show up to the first meeting and they know exactly why they're there. How can the prospective customer, how can the security team or security person help you help them? You know, like what sort of what sort of information uh, is is important for you to have a productive first meeting where you can either, you know, qualify it as an actual business opportunity or disqualify it entirely and say, Hey, I don't think this is going to be a good fit. We should probably go our separate ways. Yeah, that's a good question. And I think, so I always try to get to, if it doesn't make sense to have a second call, I want to figure that out with you. I don't want to say, yes, let's have a second call. And it's really not a good fit. You didn't tell me that. And now I'm emailing you 10 times because we were supposed to have a second call. Like that's just annoying. If it's not a good fit, like I like to identify with that with someone on a call. And if I have an opinion on who could help them, I'll, I'll give them that information. But typically um, it, it gets a little challenging because most people want to do a discovery call, a quote unquote, a discovery call up front where it's just the vendor asks 20 questions and it's like the, the CISO or whoever it is came on the call and now they're not learning anything about your company. And it was just playing 21 questions and it's not a very, beneficial experience. So I like to do mutual recons where I do as much research as humanly possible, try to make some assumptions and theories. I bring that to the table. What I like to get from them is like, is there a timeline here? Like what's the sense of urgency? Is it because you have a compliance deadline? Do you have a really big customer that you need a pen test report for, for example? So I just like to understand the why. Um, so why are you looking for a pen test, for example? Why are you looking at a different vendor? And it helps me start articulating the how we might be able to help in that conversation. So if it gives you a top track to start getting more specific, that's great. Otherwise, I see a lot of salespeople, they just stick to their pitch, they'll read slides, 
and they hope that you can put the pieces together for them. So I think you can give some information of why you're here, why you're looking um, in general timeline ideas. It gives people a good guardrail to start getting deeper with good questions and not just spitting out 20, uh, 20 slides at you. So I think showing up to why you're there is always helpful and it's pretty basic. Yeah, I think that's good life advice too. You you know, having your idea of, of why you're doing something and then it, for people who are in in a profession or in a activity, you know, just to stretch it out wider, there's something that you do every day. It's going to seem obvious to you why you do the things that you do. And the conclusion, like in, in your case, the conclusion you want this person to reach will be obvious to you, but to them it might not be as obvious because they don't understand the ins and outs in the entire process. And that's something that, yeah, you need to be able to educate them on. And if you're reading slides, sometimes you can tell a really good story that gets them there just through slides. But more often than not, people are going to nod in agreement. So you keep going. But, you know, <laughs> the questions they have for a lot of personality types, they won't bring that up. They won't say, hey, that actually doesn't make sense to me. A lot of people will just kind of nod. Just let it go. On. It, yeah, that, there's a lot of if you can tell a good story then it makes a lot more sense because it's much more compelling and it's interesting to listen to. Otherwise, it can get it can get pretty boring. And then if you just start doing emails and things like that, now you're missing information and maybe there was a problem and you didn't address it. You just said kind of, you let it go. And then the salesperson's confused why you didn't call them back because there were problems with it. It just didn't get addressed on the call. And that is, I mean, the salesperson can do a better job of, of kind of bringing things to light for the customer. And there could be more questions asked on their side. So I think... You have to make it a, a good conversation. It can't just be one-sided. It's got to be mutual. I call them mutual recons, but we can't just show up and do slides and a full demo and think that we don't need any information from you. You should come in with research, know them the best you can, and hope to have an actual conversation. Slides, platform, all those things are, are great, but I think the main focal point is that you're talking to another human and that there's a conversation to be had and you're not just looking at a computer screen. So I think people forget the human factor a little bit, uh, and it leads to a lot of different issues. Yeah, and, and the slides and the demo, to your point, they're not, that shouldn't be the center piece. That should be the way to build that interaction or build that relationship with the other person. It's the medium that you're using to showcase how you can help, but exactly. but really it's about how you're proving that you're going to help this individual. And and um, yeah, building that human relationship. Because at the end of the day, especially when you're selling security you know, as, as a vendor to a typically a large company or even a, a smaller medium sized company, you know, you're asking a lot of them to go through a lot of steps and acquire your software. And so you need to be able to provide a lot of value to them. So it makes sense for both parties. Yeah, absolutely. It makes sense. Yeah, exactly. Or even differentiating, there could be a tool that's very similar. And if you're not having the conversation of maybe what they're using and what they're looking to do different, then you're just wasting time. Every every salesperson in existence asks, like, can I have 15, minute, uh, 15 minutes or 30 minutes of your time? If you don't make the best of that time and educate yourself and try to bring the best to the table, like, it's your, like it, it's my time too. I don't want to waste 30 minutes of my time. Uh, I'm also a human. I know CISOs are busy, but I, I have a busy schedule too. So I like to make the best of my time. So if I can do research and make it great for both of us, then it's a win-win. So I think that's how people should be thinking and not just... Um, being desperate and grateful for someone's time and not doing the research and preparing, I think you should always come to the conversation with everything you can. 
that that might be news to some of the people who listen to this podcast. Salespeople <laughs> are people too. Believe it or not. <laughs> I, it might be news to some people for sure because I've seen some things where I, I'm not totally convinced that people think we're humans. <laughs> and so on on that note, you know, the dynamic between between the customer and the salesperson, uh, that's, you know, it's a kind of a area of frustration, I think, for a lot of, for a lot of yeah. practitioners, especially because they're so inundated with, with, to your point, every salesperson saying, can I have 15 or 30 minutes of your time? So if we address that elephant in the room, you know, what, what complaints have you heard security practitioners specifically say about salespeople? Just volume of like so many emails. Uh, like there's email cadences when I was when I was a BDR cold caller when I was out of college, like nine years ago, and at that point there was data points of like you need to send eight emails to get a response, and I always thought that that was such an odd thing that you needed to count the number of emails before someone was willing to respond to you, um, and then now in the more recent studies it's like sixteen emails. So I'm like between me being a BDR nine years ago to now. The number of emails you have to send for someone to respond to you has doubled. Like, I don't think that means that we're getting more creative and like things are different. I think that just means it's not working. Like when people send template cold emails that have first name, last name, and they just send the same body to every single person, uh, we can improve your security posture. It's like, well, about a thousand vendors are going to say that same exact line. So how are you different and how are you worth someone's time? I really despise automated email cadences like i think it's good in some situations that i know some people have to do it and they're just doing what they're told but i will i hope i never have to send an automated email cadence again i like to do individual emails and just like get really do a lot of research like i mentioned and make a very specific email on why i want to work with somebody and i think that i mean it's still annoying no one wants to get a cold email but i hope that has more respect than someone sending 16 emails of, hey, I'm bubbling this up in your inbox and things like that, where it's just no value at all. And I think that's the biggest thing I hear from security practitioners is just the crazy amount of LinkedIn messages and emails that people are getting with, and you can just see that there's little to zero research being done. And I think that research part is also like a big, like you're just sending me crap and hoping that we respond to it. So I think that's a big pain point, but um, also events. So we just came back from RSA, great event, tons of vendors there. We do local events, all these sorts of things. And I think vendors spend a lot of money to do this stuff. Marketing spend a lot of money. They have, just like security people, they want an ROI on tools or maybe cost avoidance or risk aversion, whatever it is. Finance and leadership typically want some sort of metric of proving the value of the tool that you purchased with money. Marketing spends money on an event and usually for these large ones, tens of thousands. And now they want to get an ROI of meetings booked, um, deals closed, hopefully in a few months, whatever it is, and to see an ROI on their investment. And that makes salespeople get pushy for follow-ups. So like everyone's going to follow up multiple times because we're trying to do the best thing for our company. And then for security practitioners, it's real tough. You're getting how many vendors were at RSA and everyone's going to send you like 20 emails each. And like, that's a ridiculous amount of emails. But I think that's an industry problem as a whole, in AEs and BDRs, we're just doing VCs gave funding. C-levels now have direction from those VCs and their new board of we need X revenue. How do you find X revenue? You look at your pipeline and your funnel and conversion rates 
So we need to get this many meetings to get to this dollar amount. How do we get this many meetings? If we send this amount of emails with this open rate and conversion rate, then we'll get that amount of meetings. And the best way to do that is just by crunching numbers. So the more output or input, you're hoping there's more output and there's a lack of quality. So like if Tom sends 10 quality emails versus 200 automated emails, uh, is that a better route to take? Like, but the issue becomes what's the line of quality? What's considered a good quality email versus just setting a volume in a number of 200 emails. So I think the industry as a whole has got lost in that. And a lot of it's because funding, we have to just do certain things to get there. Uh, but unfortunately, security practitioners have received a negative outcome of that, uh, which is just tons and tons and tons of outreach from sale, uh, from vendors. It just gets challenging. But that's the biggest thing I run into. Uh, and then secondary, not being prepared for meetings. Once you actually get there, showing up and not having a clue what they do, um, I think that's probably the one of the most frustrating things for them too is after all this time, you're not even going to put the work in to understand who they are as a person or a company and what their goals might be. Yeah. That was a lot. I've been holding that in for a while. Yeah, no, thank you for <laughs> thank you for going through that. And I want to dig into some different parts of it. And and so I'll, I'll start at the end. Why not? Because you said, you know, you do all this work and you brought up sales and marketing teams invest so much money into trying to get in front of the people that they want to, to offer their solution to. And they mm -hmm. built the company for a reason. Every vendor built their company because they think they can add more value to a company than what they're charging them. That's the nature of business, right? And so you do all this work and you invest all this time and all this money, all this energy, and then you get there and you don't even know why you're there. It's just, it seems like, you know, <laughs> by the time that you've invested all of those resources, you should, you should be very willing to show up prepared because yeah, that's your shot to prove, hey, this is the reason why we invested so much money into getting in front of you because we think we're going to fundamentally change the way that your business operates and we're going to help you in, in this way. And, and yeah, so showing up unprepared seems like a very, uh, it's crazy, very it, irresponsible thing to do, I guess. I think uh, in the majority though, is like more often than not, people are showing up unprepared, which is not great. And I think also some people are, we're here and paid money, so we deserve your time. You didn't, you didn't deserve, just because you showed up somewhere doesn't mean I earned a security practitioner's time. I have to go out there and have a conversation. This is just my opportunity and platform to do something other than a cold email. Now I have to have real conversations uh, and see if it's even worthwhile to have a conversation. I think a lot of people show up and say, we came here, here we are, we spent money, I'll email you after the event, and I earned your, I earned a meeting with you because we paid money, which is not the case and that's a terrible mentality to have like if you're showing up somewhere put the effort in and try to give back to the community and try to bring value to someone that is there to learn and then if it's a fit it's a they'll have a conversation with you yeah and, and so you mentioned uh you have some there's so many things i want to i want to <laughs> but yeah i want to start with you mentioned this quantitative analysis where vcs give money and the c-level has to hit these numbers and so it becomes this this equation where if we have X number of meetings that convert at this rate and this is our land size and this is, you know, this is where, where we need to get. And so we need to send X number of emails to get there. And and it's easier to do that quantitative analysis than it is to do a qualitative analysis on how good is the information that we're pushing out. And so do you have any ideas about how you could do a sort of qualitative, you know, like you said, what is quality, right? What's the line? And then how do you 
build on that and try to start to change the industry approach. So it's not always hammer with a million of the same message, but rather provide value to this individual that is a, a unique individual. You know, how do you start to transform that equation so that qualitative analysis becomes relevant? Yeah. At the end of the day, what really matters is outcomes. And you even see this in security. Like you can do all the scanning in the world, find all the vulnerabilities that you want. But if you're not remediating them and creating some sort of outcome or change in your environment, maybe to reduce vulnerabilities or whatever it is, your outcome is not where you're putting in the work, but the output is not coming in the other side of the, the positive outcome you were looking for. Uh, and I think the same, it happens in so many different situations where um, people aren't thinking in an outcome-based way. If I can think of getting X good meetings where they turn into, so you look at the pipeline of meeting set and then converting down the pipeline. If you focus on maybe that second conversion of a meeting getting set to a qualified opportunity, and you start to look at that, and you kind of put the volume aside of how many meetings were set, I think that starts to drive the conversation of higher quality. So, okay, I don't have to do 200 emails because the meeting, the number of meetings I set doesn't matter. It's the, the number of quality conversations that I'm having through those meetings. So maybe you're going to start to send higher quality things and spend more of your time doing research, finding the right people to go after and those sorts of things, which some people do that. Uh, I think another way to do it is there's so many tools out there that will rate your email um, of like your email is an 86 or 100, whatever it is. I think that could be a way. I don't think the technology is there yet, but if you want to start basing like you have to send set X amount of meetings and your email score has to be over an 86. Like, I think that's a good metric that ties yourself to quality versus quantity. Yeah. Yeah. And the whole tying things to quality, it's also an, an issue where you need to be able to produce an outcome in a certain amount of time, right? When startups get funded or vendors get funded, they have a runway. They have an amount of time they can stay in business before it's lights out if they don't make deals. And so if you're trying to change from that quantitative we have to send however many emails to, we need to send quality emails. The, the stakeholders in the business are going to be concerned because they need to see that return pretty quickly. And if you're going to change those metrics, it seems like it would be much easier to start off that way from day zero rather than try to shift partway through just because it's, you know, at a certain point, people are going to go, okay, but we only have so much money to survive on, right? We are, we are a funded uh, funded vendor and we, our revenue is not enough for us to be profitable yet. So, you know, that, and I don't know if you're going to have an answer for this, but that seems like really what's going to make the conversation so difficult is sure the people can say, Hey, I want to focus more on, on high intent emails. But if the people above them say, yeah, we don't have any metrics to prove that that's a valuable use of your time, then it's probably going to get shut down, um, at that stakeholder level. And then you're back to, yeah. you know, back to 16 emails. Yeah, and I think that's the problem. I think that's what the hardest thing that we have to get around is if you bring this to a board meeting and you're showing your activity levels and if you don't have the outcomes they were expecting, it's like, well, increase uh, the amount of work or volume activity that you're doing and that's an easy solution. So I think it's just the path of least resistance so people take it versus maybe try to develop a channel, find strategic alliances or partners like to try to figure out there's someone that's really well-respected in this space. How can we make an integration or somehow do an alliance with them um, to get our brand out there and to maybe start getting some of their customers to use us? There's lots of ways to go about it. 
Um, I think sending a bunch of emails is the easiest path to take because it's easy to track. And it's hard to prove otherwise, unfortunately, but I think if you can work and try to get some wins and prove that your method can work, I think it can change the way a company runs. But uh, unfortunately, there are people, there's always a bigger dog that is willing to say, if unless there's something that's going to prove this is significantly better, they're just not going to do it. Those numbers are just much more easy or much easier to crunch. Yeah, and everyone who's at the C level is a they're they're in a very quantitative role, right? That's yeah. the nature of those it's positions. Nature of you have to you have to punch crunch numbers all the time. Yeah, it's well, well. Hopefully, there is a a way to alleviate the inundation of practitioners and the quantity of emails in their inboxes because I've I've seen time and time again and heard time and time again the frustration that comes from all of those all of those messages because automation tools are so readily available in this year you know this this time yeah it just makes it too easy to do the wrong things uh even emailing maybe someone that's uh they are a storage manager and you're sending them email security stuff it's like we're not even sending the relevant things to the right people um it's just what i hope we evolve to a point where we start to better leverage these tools. I mean, tools are not going away. Um, AI is making things a little dicier because now you can ask chat B, uh, GBT to give you uh, an email and people are pumping those things out. So I think it's going to get worse before it gets better, but I hope we start to find solutions that kind of raise the quality and the standards of how we work together. Yeah, and keep, like we brought up earlier, keep that human-to-human interaction. You know, make it so it's, it's hey, we're not, we're not two people behind computer screens you know, pitching this generic prop. It's where two people trying to solve an actual problem. And you brought up earlier working with with partners uh, or, you know, people that are like um, in the business every day, right? They're in there figuring out those problems every day and, and building that human relationship. And so making that more mainstream of how do we make sure that we're actually helping you do what you're trying to do? Because all of these people, right, they have goals. They have things they need to do. And that's that's why they talk to you when you say, hey, I think I can help. Because they think that you can help them and it's that human to human interaction. And yeah. so we're, we're starting to run low on time. But one thing I would love to hear if you're willing to share is what, what do you think the ugliest interaction you've seen is between a salesperson and a security person? And, and please make it anonymous. But what do you think <laughs> the ugliest interaction is? Uh, I think one of the ugliest I've seen is I always see LinkedIn's like battles of someone sent a uh, sales rep sent terrible waste of time emails and maybe they their cadence got messed up and they sent like five of the same emails to a CISO. CISO screenshots their message with their name and their company attached, tags the company and the person uh, in the LinkedIn post. And then I've seen the CEO of that company come in and start yelling at the CISO. I've heard the AE come in and start doing things. They go back and forth. Other security practitioners came in and started kind of giving their opinion. And I was like, this is the craziest. If I was the account executive on that, I would just close my laptop and I would stay off the internet for like two weeks because I'm like, that is getting called out on a public forum like that on LinkedIn with your company being tagged and yourself being tagged and your CEO is involved. I'm like, that is just a stressful situation. And that AE was probably taking direction from someone that's higher than him to send an email. And they messed up because it's technology and people mess up with technology all the time. But you also, on the other side, have very frustrated people that are very close to like the brink of flipping out at anyone at any time because they just get so much crap flooding their inbox where 
it's just like the perfect storm happened and they snap. But LinkedIn is always like, that stresses me out when people get called out in those public forums. Because uh, it's it's hard to it's hard to crawl back from that one. Yeah, yeah. And to your point, just close your laptop, hop on a plane, go to a different country where no one knows who you are. And just wait, wait for a while. Yeah. And hopefully everybody forgets. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to take a couple of weeks of vacation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the best way to do it. Just, I would, yeah, don't engage in that situation. That's just send your apologies and keep it there. Yeah. Try not to, try not to justify. Just, just say, I'm sorry and, and walk away from the situation for a while. Yeah. How, and how do you justify sending five terrible emails that are exactly the same back to back? It's like the technology messed up and I'm an idiot. I'm sorry. But it's, uh, <laughs> there's only so much you can do to justify nonsense like that. Uh, so it's just, yeah, you just got to call it quits. <laughs> well, speaking of calling it quits, unfortunately, we are about out of time here. But Tom, thank you so much for coming on. It was great talking to you. Loved all your opinions. And hopefully the people who listen to this podcast also uh, can, you know, gain some perspective and, and you know, maybe get some ideas about how we can improve that whole uh, vendor customer relationship in the industry. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on, and I hope things go in a better place for vendors uh, and security practitioners can have real conversations uh, and not just this this volume of emails going back and forth forever. So I hope it improves, but thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. All right, Tom. Well, I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. You too. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Champions of Security. Be sure to come back next week. We're going to have another exciting guest on this very streaming platform. See you there.